0: So this is what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and I love the the opportunity to preach in multiple weeks, one after the other, because I feel like I can kind of build a few layers, one on top of the other. And our big idea has been this phrase, being meaningfully part of a committed community is God's idea of what is good for us. And we've been drilling down into different aspects of that, specifically around Christ's Last week we spoke about Christ's commitment to His church, that He's so committed that He marries her. That's how committed... is. And I want to um, start off, I had conversations this week which I love getting. I love, love getting feedback, especially when people are confused or they're not sure what I meant when I said something when I was preaching. It's so helpful to get that feedback because then I can come back and say, hey, let's clarify. So this morning I'm going to just clarify um, one thing. We've been talking for a couple of weeks, two weeks, around committing to church Christ's commitment to his church we must be committed to church and I had someone come up to me this week and just ask the simple question are you talking about the universal invisible church like the whole body of churches around the world or are you talking about one hope anyone else had that question as I've been talking hopefully that's been in, in a few of your minds so let's let's talk about that a little bit at the end of my sermon last week I finished off by saying we haven't even got to one hope yet we haven't even spoken about one hope yet as we, we're talking about Jesus marrying his bride, which hasn't yet happened. All right, so I'm going to take us on, a, on just a brief, very simple um, explanation of the universal church versus the local church to help you understand what it is that I'm talking about when I say we must commit to the church. So here we go. Church, the word church is actually from the Greek word ecclesia, which you'll see in the New Testament, ecclesia. That's the Greek word, and it literally meant a gathering of people. So you could be an ecclesia of students, you could be an ecclesia of lawyers, you didn't have to be a gathered church, but in the first few centuries, this word became so associated with Christians gathering, oh there's the ecclesia, oh there's the ecclesia, oh that's that ecclesia, in the different towns, that it became synonymous with Christianity, and so it actually became, it it switched into a word which means a gathering of Christ followers or a gathering of Christians. Simple, right? But it's not just a gathering of Christ followers in any shape or form. So when you gather with your 10 buddies who also happen to be Christians and you have a bride together, are you having church? No. You're not. You're a gathering, but you're not a specific church gathering. So there's there's specific um, marks, if you would of what a church gathering is meant to incorporate. And we find some of these in Acts. There's lots of scriptures I could have taken us to, but this one in Acts I love. Acts chapter 2, speaking about the early believers, and it says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And then skip down to verse 46, and it says, and day by day, attending the temple together, gathering together these believers breaking bread in their homes bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved and so there's some of these marks of Church And some of these marks are that the word of God is preached. So if at your bride someone stands up and expounds the word of God and the word is preached and you have fellowship together and you break bread together and you pray together and you do this thing and you begin to do it regularly, then what do we have? A church. That's a New Testament church. It doesn't have to be any size. There's no size on it or anything like that. But so then biblically, if that's the truth, then biblically we cannot say the church of the Western Cape. There is no such thing biblically because all the believers in the Western Cape never gather together. Remember, it's just a literal gathering of people. So more accurately, we must say the churches of the Western Cape. Now I know it sounds pedantic, but it is quite a big shift in the New Testament because originally it's just the Jerusalem church. And then we see that persecution breaks out and the church begins to scatter and then we see Antioch and Ephesus. And when we go and read in Revelation chapter 3 and chapter 2 you'll see that John begins to write to multiple local churches, right? Local churches, Ephesus, Antioch, Corinth. These are the churches' that he's writing to so now the universal church capital c if you want to if you want to call it that is actually only going to happen on the final day so in revelation speaks about a tribe and tongues from every nation standing before the throne of god that's not just our generation right it's thousands of years of people who've put their faith in God. Even before Jesus Christ, Abraham, and the others, and the prophets, and the Israelites, those who were part of God's, that is the universal church. So, in other words, it includes the dead. And it includes the yet unborn. Until Christ comes, people who haven't yet been born will be added to his universal church and so there's two very clear distinctives between a local church and a universal church and they're quite straightforward here they are the local church is visible you can phone you can come to a meeting you can't do that with the invisible church I remember a story of a missionary who came to a pastor that I was reading about recently and the missionary asked for money And um, the pastor said, well, I need to know where do you go to church? You're not part of our congregation, so where are you meaningfully part of a congregation and where are you submitted? So how do I know that I'm giving this money into a helpful place? And the missionary got quite agitated and he said, I'm part of the invisible church. And so the pastor pushed him some more and said, yes, but which invisible church? Which, Which expression of the invisible church do you go to week after week? And he said, I'm part of the invisible church. And he got more and more irritated with the pastor. And eventually the pastor said to him, Well, sir, here's some invisible money to help you with your work in the invisible church. (laughs) And I enjoyed that story, but that that emphasizes some of what we're trying to figure out here what is what. But uh, the universal church is invisible, we we can't yet see it. The second thing is that the local church is fallible. Anyone being around local church for two minutes knows this it's full of people who are broken, leaders who are broken people who are broken, all of us who are trying but who are imperfect in so many ways, the difference is that the universal church, the church of the ages, will be perfect. So that's how you know that you aren't yet part of the universal church. Because if you joined it, it wouldn't be perfect. Right? The minute we joined it, it wouldn't be a perfect church anymore. So that's how you know you aren't part of it yet. So when we say Christ is so committed to his church that he died for her. He's so committed to her that he's going to marry her one day. Which church are we talking about was the question. The universal church or the local church. The answer is both. Both. One hope or shofar or every nation or gemeente are expressions. They are local church expressions of the universal church. There is no need to distinguish or to choose which one you're part of. Are you part of the local church or the universal? It's, it's, they're not at exclusion of one another. Does that make sense? So maybe as a metaphor, think about someone saying to you, um, I want you to commit to your family or your wife and your children. You choose. Hey? There's no distinction, right? Committing to my family is committing to my wife and children. And it's a similar thing. Committing into local church is committing into the universal church. So it's this, it's this false dichotomy. You don't have to do um, one or the other. And so the real question that it boils down to, and, and the point I've been trying to push across, is that Christ models an incredible commitment to his people. Christ models an incredible commitment both to the local church which he founded. Let's not forget that this is his idea, not mine, or some other fancy person who's writing a book about some new idea. This is God's idea. So he models his marriage commitment to the universal church, and in the same way, we look at him and say, we want to be committed to. And so we commit wholeheartedly into what we can which is the local body of believers. Any local body of believers who preach the word of God faithfully, who hold the gospel doctrines as true. Throughout our lives, wherever wherever we are, whatever country we're in, whichever city we live in, whichever job we move into, it doesn't matter where we go, we don't pledge allegiance to a single local church. So I never ever want you to say, I've pledged allegiance to One Hope and I'm sticking it out Come hell, how, what if? We start speaking nonsense from this pulpit. Leave. Your allegiance is not to a local church. But our commitment in our hearts is to say, Lord, wherever I find myself, whatever country I'm in, whatever city I'm in, I want to find your people. And I want to gather with them regularly. I want to hear your word preached regularly. It's good for me. I want to break bread with brothers and sisters. I need to have fellowship. Does that make sense? Are you following me? And then at the same time as that, there's other beautifully legitimate things to be involved with. Red Frogs, stick up your hands, our Red Frog is in the room. Okay? That's a good thing to be involved with. It's a powerful ministry to be involved with, and many of these other ministries. So it's not saying local church to the exclusion of everything else is the only thing you're allowed to be part of. No, no, no. No, We can be involved in, in many things, but it's just defining the difference between universal and local church. Hopefully, Um, That's helpful, and then I think it's also worth really clearly articulating that commitment and attendance are different words. I am not calling you to attend, come hell or high water, miss your granny's birthday, miss your anniversary, never go away for a single weekend. You attend church. I am not calling for that. The Bible does not call for that. That's an unhealthy expectation to be placed upon you. But I'm talking about being known. I'm talking about being part of a community where you can be loved. And these things come with realities like attending regularly. Because if you don't attend regularly, you can't be cared for. You can't be known. Right? You can't be loved. It doesn't make sense. It only makes sense in attendance. So I just wanted to clarify that. We'll keep coming around to some of these issues, and as you have questions, please feel free to shoot with some of these questions. It's so great to get... That was a question that I that was asked by Grace uh, Bridgman. Gracie, are you here? So I answered your whole question, and I think you, you're missing today. You know, I'm just going to out you right there. You can <laughs> listen to that on the, on the catch-up. Okay, so what I'm, what I'm going to talk about for the next 20 minutes, and then we're going to be done. Well, 21 minutes and 33 seconds, if my time has anything to go by, is... Committed to the local church is good for us. I want to zoom in on that part of our statement this morning. Being committed to a local church is good for us. And I know that immediately in some hearts there's this cry: How can it be, how can it be good for us? Some of you we speak about, you know, we want to encourage those people who are discouraged. We want to speak about uh, marveling at God's work that we see at work in one another's lives when we get close enough to people and you say, man, you messed up, but man, God is amazingly healing you. It's marvelous. It's encouraging. And we we receive love and we receive care in our darkest seasons. I know there's there's at least 10 of you I could name right now that could jump up and, and share stories of how this community has carried you recently through deep and dark seasons of your life because you've been part of a a meaningful community it's good for us but some of you are looking at me and you're saying like huh what I've never experienced a kind of church community like that that's not how I see church community my experience has been hurt my experience has been terrible leadership and power hungry men who've tried to lord it over us or whatever it may be that you bring to the table this morning so there's there's four groups of people that I want to speak to very simply around how the local church benefits these different four groups all right Uh, can I can I ask if you knew or if you weren't here on week one there's some papers we handed out which we're going to reference quite a lot again this morning the one another page if you lost yours this is not your turn to get another one we haven't got that many of them left but Shaw, who's handing them out for me Someone there, just, just pop up your hand. If you don't have, if you went here on week one and you don't have a one another page, I think we have 18 of them. So you can get those arts and we're going to speak through some of that this morning. Up here at the front, Matthew Ray. Can some guys sitting together just share so that we can get some to the guys at the back over there? All right, let's not wait forever for that. Let's carry on. So the first, the first group of people that I want to speak to, this is the people that are going to benefit from local church. The first group of people is that it's for your own good. It's you. It's for, and I could have added in there for you and your family. This is good for you, and your family, has it ever, as you've read the word of God, has it ever struck you how shamelessly God speaks of rewards as a motivation for us? Has it ever struck you that it's not, it's not some selfish desire to want to do good for us? It's, it's wrong when it's the only desire, but it's, it's God uses this as so profoundly in his words. So if I look at Matthew chapter 6 as an example, Jesus is speaking about three very important things. He's speaking about giving to those who are in need, he's speaking about prayer, and he's speaking about fasting. And so the expectation is that he could very easily just say, you know, you must pray because prayer is good. You must fast because you're a selfish person and you need to remember that it's not all about you and you need to fast. What does he do instead? He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you so that's actually God's motivation for why we should pray I want to reward you I want you to pray and I want you to do it in secret so that you aren't doing it boastfully and you're getting your reward now but I'm actually going to reward you and it always strikes me as so amazingly different to the way I think how God so shamelessly says this is for your good so I'm, I'm, that's my first point this morning, is that it's for our own good. We're the first group of people that we join a church. It's for our own good. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 to 25 says this. I'm reading in the ESV. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I think I forgot that off my slide. I did. I did. That's verse 23, right? I added that in this morning. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. So we have this this hope of salvation that God has put before us. And the author is saying, let's hold tight to that, right? And then he says, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Speaking about what God does. God is faithful. He's going to hold us through it. Now we can read behind me on the screen. And let us. Who's us? That was God do right? God's going to do that. He is faithful. Now it's turning and it's saying, now you. This is not God's part. This is our part. Now let us consider. What does consider mean? Think about. It means you sit at home and you wonder, how can I do this? How can I best help this person? How can I best encourage this person? So it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Isn't that beautiful? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Isn't it a great comfort to know that right there at the inception of the church, the author already has to say that people are neglecting meeting together. There's already the group of people who say, give me Jesus, but not Christians. Let me be with Jesus, but I don't like the church. They're already there. He's already having to warn them, don't neglect gathering together. You think you can neglect it? Don't. He says, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Did you see all the little one another phrases in there? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Isn't it good to think about being part of a community like that? Where someone is considering me, thinking about you, I wonder how I can encourage Paul toward love. I wonder how I can encourage him toward good works when in his heart he wants to do a bad work or no work at all, which is also a bad work. I wonder how I could encourage him as I see the day approaching. It's a beautiful verse. And if you look at this little form, Deb, I know you've got an electronic version. If you throw up that, this thing that we gave out in week one, the one and other phrases should be there somewhere, this one. This is, we took all the, well, I took all the different one another phrases in the scripture and we put them under these groupings, unity, love, humility, and then here's the rest. And we just took some of the ones that are the key ones. So in other words, there might be five about peace, we just took one about peace. And you can read this in four, you're good, but if you look at them, when you read like as an example, number four up behind me, accept one another. And you think about for your good. Isn't it good to be in a place where people are being taught and commanded by Jesus to accept one another in a world which doesn't want to accept anything about one another? Or read number five. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Seriously, guys, don't eat each other. Wouldn't you like to be a part of a community like this? Were you not worried that the minute you walk out the door, the person says, ah, you know, Paul, I can't stand him. I wish I had the courage to tell him that. I just can't stand him. Something about him, I think it's his shoes. <laughs> number seven, look at number seven up there. Gently, patiently tolerate one another. Do you know, <laughs> when we lie on our beds at night, We see ourselves for the sinful person that we really are. No one knows me like me, except for God. No one knows me like me. That should breed in us such a deep thankfulness that Jesus is telling people around us, those that he's telling us to walk this journey with, be gentle, patiently tolerate that thing in Paul's life. Patiently tolerate that thing in your wife's life, in your friend's life, in your life group leader's life. It's it's beautiful. The first group is for us. It's for us. This is good for us. Here's a little a, a logic test or a reason if I could call it. If you have to apply logic or reason just to these commands, this is scripture, guys. This is not Paul. This is me, Paul. This is not me, Paul saying. This is what I think is a good idea. This is scripture commanding us to fulfill these things. It's saying, I want you to live like this. I want you to have peace with one another. I want you to accept one another. I don't want you to bite one another. Let me ask you just a logical, reasonable question. Can you do this outside of a meaningful, committed community? Can you fulfill these commands, is my charge to you this morning. Can you do that in isolation? If you can, it's beyond me. As I go through the one another commands on that page, there's not a single one that I don't want to sign up for. There's not a single one where I say, you know what, don't treat me gently. It's fine, bite me all you like. Let's not have peace, let's have enmity between us. There's not one of those things which I look at and I think, God, this is for my good. And this is for the good of my family. The other little thing I love about this exercise, <laughs> you, you might be sitting here and you might think, you know what, Paul, I tried this. Guys, I know this reality. I, I tried this and you know what? We ended up here horribly hurt. It really didn't end very well when we tried to do this community thing. I love that right baked, like baked into these verses is this opposite assumption Because remember, all of these are written to believers, right? They're all written to one another. All of these things are written to one another, and all of them have an underlying assumption that Christians do the other thing. I find that a great comfort. I find it a great comfort that Christians are lying. Christians are devouring and biting and and consuming one another. Christians are grumbling against one another. Christians have unforgiveness toward one another. And you can go through the whole thing and these guys that are writing all these verses, James and Paul and and, and all these different authors that have written these things, are saying, Christians are going to do this to you, so I need to tell you not to do it. That's deeply encouraging for me. The second thing, so we the first group, it's good for us. The second group that it's good for is that it's good for others. And I'm simply going to read you a quote here from a guy called David Matthias. He's a writer for um, John Piper's group, Desiring God. And he wrote this article, and he said this about how good it is to join a church or to do a membership or whatever the, the language they use, Is it's good for others. And this is what he wrote. He said, this is perhaps... The most overlooked reason for joining a church. In our proclivity to self-focus, proclivity is our tendency or our, whatever, tendency is a good word. In our tendency to self-focus, we consider the reasons relating directly to us, but overlook how our membership relates to others. Our belonging somewhere establishes a base from which we can reliably care for others. There are two sides to church membership, and we can't keep others accountable for their good to a covenant that we ourselves haven't taken. Now listen to this next paragraph, is truly profound for me. True love is not only manifest in affection and action, but also allegiance. We do not fully love our brothers and sisters in Christ if we withhold pledging our allegiance to them by covenanting with them in local church life. Love doesn't say, I love these people and don't need to covenant with them. Rather, it says, I love these people enough to covenant with them. This immediately, for me, brings up the the metaphor of marriage again. And I think about how to our young people, it's being peddled again and again and again that somehow it's okay that we live with our girlfriend, that we live with our boyfriend and that it's going to be okay. Where actually, God is saying, that's not love. That's benefits without any of the risk. We don't have to commit at all. I can leave you in five years time. But in the meantime, it's going to have, we're going to have great sex and we're going to live together and pretend that we're married. And it's not God's plan. and it's not God's purpose for us. We are not prepared to commit, but we want all the benefits. And this immediately takes me to that. Love is not only manifest in affection and action, but also with allegiance. we saying, no, I commit to this marriage. I commit to you. I'm not saying to you, I love you, and I don't, want to co- I don't need to covenant with you because my love should be enough. We're saying, no, because I love you, I'm going to covenant with you. Do you see the difference? And then he finishes off by saying, living the Christian life in community is more than just loose associations, but committing to each other to be there for each other when life is hard, in sickness and in sorrow. So, being meaningfully part of a local church community is good for us. It's beneficial for us, it's good for others. The third point. Is that it's good for God's leaders. It's good for the leaders. I'll read to you from Acts chapter 20 in a moment, verse 26 to 30. But this is the this is the account in the book of Acts where Paul is on the on the beach with the Ephesian elders, and he's contending for them for the work that he's done, and he's giving them his final instructions. Everyone's in tears, they know they're not going to see him again. And this is what he says. Therefore. I testify to you this day, this is Paul speaking, that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he ordained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years, he carries on saying how he's been warning them with tears and working among them with tears for three years. Now, let me ask you another very reasonable, uh, easy-to-answer question. Who is the flock? Is he talking about the universal church? Is he commanding the Ephesian elders that it's their responsibility to care for every believer in the known world at that time. No. He's talking about a local church community. He's saying your flock. When he speaks about it, I mean, when he, when he says, have made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Sounds like the universal church, but he's talking to them about the Ephesian church. Now, how can your leaders fulfill this command? How can they reasonably fulfill this command without knowing who is in their flock? Who must I care for? Who must our elders care for? Who must our deacons care for? Who must our life group leaders care for? It only makes sense. The scriptures, these, and there's many more I could take you to. We can't care for those who refuse to meaningfully be part of local church. I can't just care for people who would walk in one day, be with us for three weeks, and then pop off to another church for three weeks, and pop off to another church for three weeks. I can't care for them. So actually without meaning to do so, they are cutting off the avenues where God has put leaders in place to bless them. Where leaders pray for people. Where leaders take time to care for people. Where they want to sit with them pastorally and walk through things and have enough love and courage in their hearts to to have a relationship that's close enough that they can actually see things in our lives which are problematic and which are going to hurt us down the line and have the love to sit down and say, Hey, stop it. Have you seen that great clip of the psychologist with the lady who pays him $5? Have you seen that one? Go and Google it. It's called Stop It. And that's his advice. Everything she tells him about what she's struggling with, his advice is just stop it. It's not very helpful, but it is very funny. (laughs) See, we, we we live in a world where I don't think it's hard to see that we're incredibly averse to any kind of authority. We're very averse, especially men in South Africa. We went through the army and it was not nice and we don't want any authority. And there's people here, guys, us today, now, we we love Jesus, we're saved. We're going to be together for eternity, but you're doing yourself such a disservice because of your suspicion of godly authority and godly leadership. We want to just keep it loose and and colorful. I'll get what I need without really submitting in any meaningful way. And I want to ask you this morning, are you part of a local church where you are meaningfully submitted to the leadership? I'm not asking this for my sake. I'm asking this for your sake, and I'm asking this because this is the instruction of Scripture. You can't escape it. An honest reading of Scripture, you can't escape that This is how God wants to care for His people it's not against the way that I instituted it it's the way that, against the way that God instituted listen to this Hebrews 13 verse 17 and this sounds so self-serving I know but I have to preach the word of God even when it sounds like I'm trying to serve myself but listen to this verse 17 it says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account because if you think we're doing this for our health you're crazy. If you think Ollie is taking time out of his day and evenings and evenings and evenings in order to care for this body because he's got some he's got some power trip for the last 10 years, however long he's been eldering, you're crazy. We're gonna give an account to God for every person who's been part of our flock. That's a scary thought. And then let me ask you if you're doing this, it says, carries on, let them do this with joy. Is the way that you respond to your leadership, that you submit to your leadership in a way that they can say, I led that person joyfully and not with groaning. For that would be, look at how he appeals, for that would be of no advantage to you. Again, he shamelessly goes after how it's good for you. When your leaders lead you with joy, when they lead you and they don't feel like, oh no, what's that phone call coming for? oh no, when they can lead you with happiness and with joy and with willful submission, it's good for you. We spoke last week about how Johannes and Ali and Bates and Jen who are up in Kids Church are coming onto eldership. And you know, really, the, the, the image that springs to mind for me is not an image of promotion or of climbing up some ladder or something like that. It's actually an image of Far Side. you know the Side cartoons? One of my favorite ones is this huge stag and he's standing at the top of this massive mountain. He's got this huge chest. And he's standing there. And on his chest is this, is this um, uh, target. And at the bottom it says, Bummer of a birthmark L. And this huge stag is standing, is standing up there. These guys, by putting their hands up for leadership in the local church, are effectively in some ways putting a target. And they're saying, God, give us, give us difficult things to deal with. Father, we want to we stand and hold account for people that you've put under our care. It's not an easy job. That's why scripture says, pray for your leaders. And this is not just us. I'm talking life group leaders. I'm talking music leaders. I'm talking across the board, people who are leading people. All right, so we're nearly there. We've got about two minutes left. For number one, for our own good. Number two, for the good of others. Number three, for the good of leaders. And number four, for the good of the unsaved. For the good of those who don't yet know Jesus. Let's turn to John chapter 13. It will be our final finalish scripture for the day John 13 verse 34 a new commandment Jesus is speaking he says a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you you are also to love one another by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another did you see the three one another's one another one another one another love one another love one another love one another scripture in another place teaches that we are a city on a hill That's the metaphor that it uses and that we shine out light and that the light is for the dark world to see and to come to know Christ. And here Christ is bringing those two concepts together and he's saying it's our love that they're going to see. Our love is the light. That's how they're going to know that we follow him. And that light rings out as a witness to those who don't yet know Christ. Church, this is powerful. This means that our Lack of willingness to meaningfully engage with other church people. Our reticence... To walk in harmony, in community, in a way that we can reasonably do that other big thing that we had up there. That we can reasonably love one another, be gentle with one another, serve one another, wash each other's feet, not grumble with one another. If we don't meaningfully walk in that kind of community, you've got to ask ourselves whether we are being a hindrance to the name of Jesus going out evangelistically to those who do not know him. Because he says, this is the light. They're going to look at you, church, and they're going to say, I want in. I want to be part of that community that's gentle with each other. I want to be part of that community that tolerate one another. That's, 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 that's. that's. I want to be part of that community. And when that community is so broken and disenfranchised, and as it is right now around the Western world, it's any wonder that the watching world looks in and says, "Ah." not so keen. To be part of that. And so what we've got to realize is that our individual decision to boycott church and to have these briar conversations where we have these rude things to say about this person or that person is actually not just an individual thing which stays with us. It actually begins to spread out into the body of Christ like a cancer. And the people who are hurt the most are those who don't yet know God. And so the church, and the reason, one of the reasons that I want to encourage you, or the fourth reason that I want to encourage you to come and meaningfully give your life in a local church community is that it allows us to ring out the truth of God over Stellenbosch. As we begin to unify with other pastors and we hold hands with those who hold the gospel truths close, and we're doing that increasingly, we're praying for them in our prayer meeting. This morning there's some wonderful things going on in the churches. As you begin to do that the watching world looks in and they go, "I hear a sound. Something is ringing out. Something is ringing out." We're not trying to have unity for unity's sake so we can put it on a poster. Being meaningfully part of a committed Community is God's idea of of what is good for us. And I want to just close in reminding us that this church, One Hope, you are part of the universal church that will be gathered on that final day. You are part of the church that Christ valued so much that he gave his life for her. Husbands, love your wives. As we read in prayer meeting again this morning out of Ephesians. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to remind you that this is the bride that he will marry. I want to remind you that this is the church that Jesus founded. I Just, just think about that. Jesus is the first church planter. Turns to Peter and says, I'm going to build my church on you. I want you to think about Jesus meeting Saul on that Damascus road. And Saul is doing what? Well, he's going out and he's persecuting the Christians. He's persecuting everywhere he can. He's trying to destroy this thing called the church, the ecclesia, the gathering. He's trying to destroy them. What does Jesus say to him? Stop being nasty to my people. That's not what he says. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That's how closely God, Jesus, Jesus, identifies with his body, with his church, with us. Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting so and so? Why are you persecuting so and so? These believers, don't you know you're persecuting me? It's mine. It's mine. Father, as we come to your table to remind ourselves of that this morning, I want to ask it. you take this scriptures that we've read you take the thoughts that i've thrown out this morning things that i've been mulling over in my own heart areas where i need to repent areas where each person in the room needs to repent father where we need to learn and 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 learn how to love each other and be gentle with each other and not bite each other and not lie to each other and have trust and all these wonderful things and to consider others more highly than we consider ourselves and all these beautiful one another commands i want to thank you father that you've given us a lifetime to practice these things. God, I don't want any condemnation to come on those. Lord, all of us are struggling in these areas. And I want to pray, Father, that there'd be no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus at all this morning, Father, but that as we feel our own brokenness, as we look at these one another commands and we say, God, I'm so impatient. I'm not patient. I'm not gentle or any of these other things, Father, that it would spur us on and encourage us to that day when we will be part of the perfect bride where there will be no more sin, where there will be no more misunderstanding, no more hurt, no more pain, no more illness. And Lord, we will stand before you as we do now in in your eyes, God. You see us as perfect and justified because you've imputed your righteousness upon us, God. But we know that's the future brought into the present, Lord. But one day, the future will be where we are and we will worship you in absolute perfection. What a beautiful thing. Jesus, we thank you. For how you love millions of local churches around the globe. Thank you for how you've been sustaining men and women for centuries. All with this view at the end of time. Every nation. Every tribe. Men and women. Slave and free. We're going to stand before you as one church. One universal bride, married to the Lamb, Jesus Christ. What a picture, Lord. So we take communion this morning as you commanded us to do when we meet, to remember you regularly. Lord, I want to ask that you'd settle some of these things in our hearts. Come and show us where we need to repent. Come and show us where our habits and our thinking is faulty and that it's doing damage to the thing that you love. Come and remind us of the preciousness of one another. The church is not a building, it's not an institution, it's us. Help us remember how much you value each of us, God, to learn how to respond accordingly, Father.